Welcome to the Running After 40 podcast, the podcast about all things related to running at 40 and beyond, produced by www.runningwithgrit.com. We help you stay physically healthy and emotionally strong at any running pace. I'm Sarah, your host, and a wife, a full-time working mom with three kids, three dogs, and a lifetime passion for running. Whether you are a veteran runner looking to maximize your times as a master runner or a brand new jogger starting in your 40s, 50s, or any age, this podcast will be there for your journey. I want to share stories, secrets, and strategies for success. This includes mistakes and lessons learned, all related to running past age 40. Let's hit the play button together and hit the roads as runners with grit after age 40. Hi guys, welcome to episode 37 of the Running After Age 40 podcast. I think I'm the most excited about this episode, uh, aside from the ones that I've done that are interviewing guests. Uh, This is definitely the one I'm most pumped for. So I'm going to be talking about lifespan, why we age, and why we don't have to, which is a book by David Sinclair. He is a PhD at Harvard researching anti-aging Uh, and his whole focus is on how to add years, and I don't mean like a couple years, but like 10 years plus in a productive way. So, you know, when I started this podcast, it's all about wanting to run longer and just live a more vital life, like, uh, and have, you know, not just be alive, but really live in a vibrant lifestyle and be able to exercise. I want to be one of those people that you see on the uh, Instagram where it's like they were doing a race when they're in their 90s. So, you know, he says 80% of your longevity is in your hands. So that's huge. 80% of your longevity is in your hands. It's the decisions that we make every day. Uh, 20% is your genetics. So it's not just one thing. I'm going to talk about a whole bunch of different things that he recommends and all these things add up. It's kind of like when I talked about atomic habits, it's all these little things. So David Sinclair is in his 50s. Uh, His biological age is actually in his 20s. And I'll talk a little bit about what that means, but I think that's really cool. And just to start out, uh, he uses the analogy of a CD. So he talks about how uh, if you're over 40, you would know what a CD is. My kids might not. But uh, he talks about the scratches on a CD and how that's what happens to our DNA as we age. And what he says is it's like we don't just want to research why we age and try to think about that, but we actually want to treat aging. Uh, And we don't want to think about it when it's too late. So don't wait until you get sick. Don't wait till you have a traumatic event. Like do something today uh, to, you know, have longevity. Uh, And one of his quotes is that aging is a disease. It's not something inevitable. And I that's a total different way of thinking. I don't, I previously, I didn't think of aging as a disease. I did think of it that it was something inevitable. It's just something that happens to us. But uh, I'll talk a little bit about that too. So as far as how this applies to running, I'm going to get your attention for that first. So one of the experiments he talks about was that he uh, fed these rats and mice a molecule intended to boost levels of NAD. And what that does is increases activity of these sirtuins. And I'm going to talk about those a lot today. But the bottom line is he gave the mice these things and they at 20 months old, which is like a human at 65, they literally broke the treadmill in the research study. That's how much more energy they had. 
Uh, so why was that? Uh, what his he proposed was that the elderly mice, they had these endothelial cells. Those are the cells that line your blood vessels. They were pushing their way into areas of muscle that were not getting much blood flow. So these new tiny blood vessels, capillaries, were formed, and those were supplying all this badly needed oxygen. It was removing lactic acid, removing toxic metabolites from muscles. And this is how these mice were becoming mighty, uh, mighty marathoners. So I thought that was fascinating. And that's I wanted to start out with that story. It's not a story, really, I guess. It's an actual experiment. But to, you know, make all this relevant to the running after 40 audience. Okay. Uh, so back to aging being a disease. Uh, Dr. Sinclair reminds us all that in the early 1900s, over half the deaths in the United States were from pneumonia, TB, flu, and gastrointestinal conditions. So again, half of the deaths were from basically infectious diseases. All those things are pretty much now preventable. So he asks what I think is a super intriguing question. You probably do too. Why can't aging be preventable? Uh, So let's start by backing up. And uh, he talks about in the mid-2000s, uh, so, geez, I guess that's um, 20 years ago now. You know, we were trying to figure out what residents in Japan, Costa Rica, places where people live longer ate. And it's no surprise the results were more veggies, uh, legumes, less meat, less dairy, less sugar. So this is a great place to start. Okay, we're going to start with nutrition, then I'll move on to exercise and just talk about some of the other things that he does uh, to kind of stress the body in a good way. But nutrition is the first one. I already did a podcast uh, talking a lot about nutrition, so I'm not going to like belabor the actual foods. But this time, he doesn't just talk about the foods, but he talks about the frequency of eating. And there's a lot of... um, There's a lot of controversy about this topic. So when I talk about this, I'm going to talk about what was in the book. Uh, Not my personal opinion, not anything medical opinion, but just what Dr. Sinclair is advocating. Uh, So what he recommends is taking a step further from just the diet and really looking at when and how frequently you eat. And his recommendation is to eat less often to maximize lifespan. Now, this does not mean malnutrition. It does not mean starving. It means fasting or allowing yourself to exist in a state of want. So again, it's not just what you eat, but when and the way that you eat it. Uh, He talks about some of the longevity spots being in Greece where they fast due to religion. Uh, And what he thinks is, uh, you know, based on his research, he's not just thinks, but what his data shows is uh, that... You know, skipping breakfast and having a late lunch is a good idea. Uh, I I actually listened to an additional interview with him. I haven't listened to all of his podcasts, but I finished the book and then just listened to a couple interviews. And he says that um, he thinks that that whole thing where it's like breakfast is the most important meal of the day, uh, he adamantly disagrees with that. He thinks that our food system has kind of built that up, that we need to eat that three meals a day. That And then it got worse with like that, you know, we should be eating really regularly and keeping our blood sugar up. He really disagrees with that. Uh, he says, again, skipping breakfast, having a late lunch, or he said at least two days a week eating less, uh, maybe fasting one day. Um, he definitely says, you know, don't just, <laughs> this is not something you want to do, like go cold turkey on. So he recommends easing into it over a three-week period and drinking a lot of water, drinking a lot of hot tea in the morning. 
uh, you know, in versus food. Uh, just water, water, water is one of his recommendations. Okay. Um, I'm going to flip back a little bit to uh, what we eat. Uh, and one of the comments that he makes is that meat is murder on our body. Uh, and I don't think that's a surprise. I, I do eat meat. But uh, he proclaims that study after study has shown that high animal diets are associated with cardiac, cardiac mortality and cancer, uh, especially red meats, hot dogs, sausage, ham, bacon. Uh, so, again, red meats. Um he says, you know, have your diet look like a rabbit's lunch and not a lion's dinner. Uh, one of the things I learned uh, is that he says amino acids are not all created equal. Um, so he advocates a lower protein, high veggie diet. He says that plants have less amino acids, so the body has to work harder to use them. So I thought that is interesting. I'll repeat that. That plant protein, the plants have less amino acids, so the body has to work harder. Uh, you don't, you know, right now, a lot of times we're never in like a state of want. And he says that when that happens, you might feel good short term, but it's not good for longevity. Uh, a couple other like really tangible recommendations. Uh, he says, if you're going to eat carbs, eat them after protein. Um, and then he, I, this was one of my superfoods, but he talks about green tea. Uh, and why he says that it's so good, one of the reasons is it has this uh, ECG, ECGC. Uh, and that is because like the, the best forms of green tea are the kind that the leaves are grown in shade. So the plants actually, actually like are kind of grown under stress. And I'll talk about like uh, what it means to be under good stress in a little bit. But uh, that ECGC turns on the enzymes that you want for longevity. Uh, as far as like in season versus out of season fruits and vegetables, uh, he notes that the fruits and vegetables that are in season that are grown organically are definitely best. Uh, you want, this is kind of like seems counterintuitive, but he says you actually want to have the, uh, fruits and vegetables that were grown under like stressful situations. So uh, the organic ones that don't have that, all the pesticides and the perfect soil, um, those are the ones you want. And he says that if you're looking in the supermarket, choose the fruits and vegetables that have the brightest colors. And that's an indicator that uh, they were born and uh, they're grown, not born in a stressful situation. Uh, so the reason I talk about the stress is he, this is good stress, right? So we want to trick our body. What's happened is as we've evolved over time, our bodies are like, we're not putting ourselves under stress anymore, like the good kinds of stress. So we want to trick our body and put the kind of foods in it that are, uh, you know, like really have been under stress and can turn on those sirtuins that we want. And uh, those are good for our defenses. All right, I'm going to talk about what he says about exercise. And uh, if you don't remember anything else, remember that he says do it. Swear by it. Uh, but but he says it's not for the reasons we thought. So he said exercise does do all the things that a lot of the science says. It improves blood flow. It improves lung and heart health. But the biggest thing is this: what happens on a small scale, the cellular scale. So those who exercise have longer telomeres. Uh, and this is really important. If you exercise at least 30 minutes jogging five days per week, so again, 30 minutes, a half hour, five days a week, those people have telomeres that are a decade longer than the sedentary. 
That's so cool. So, I mean, literally half of our running five days a week, you have tele- telomeres that are a decade longer um, than the sedentary. This is wonderful. Exercise is stressing the body and it raises this NAD levels and the longevity regulators are all modulated in the right direction. So it's adversity in a positive way. So what's the action item here? It's to push yourself, push ourselves. Only 10% of people over age 65 do. Uh, This is another startling statistic that you're going to want to make note of, and it's going to motivate you to run tomorrow. Those people that ran four to five miles per week had a reduction in a heart attack by 45% and in all-cause mortality by 30%. That's massive. Again, it's four to five miles per week. That's four to five miles in a week. That's like that's not a day. That's not even running a mile a day. Um, and a reduction in heart attack by 45%, all-cause mortality by 30%. And that was even when it's adjusted for smoking and obesity. Dr. Sinclair does note that there's a big difference between a leisurely walk and a brisk run. So he says uh, high-intensity interval training engages the greatest number of health-promoting genes. And so what does this mean? You want to be breathing deep and rapidly, and you can only say a few words without pausing for breath. Not your entire time of exercise, but you do want that like uh, at least four to five miles total a week to be really intense. Uh, one of the questions that he was asked was, can you just eat what you want and run off the extra? And he says it's unlikely. And he mentions that all these things are additive. So it's not like, I mean, it would be, you know, if you just run and you don't do anything diet, that's great. But you're not going to have the full benefit if you don't do, you know, t- take all the little t- things. So I thought that was cool. Okay. What are some other things that you can do to boost your longevity? Uh, so this one's interesting to me. It's it's cold and hot. So cold, he, uh, exposing your body to less than comfortable temperatures is another way to turn on longevity genes. Uh, so he notes that exercising in the cold turbocharges charges creation of brown adipose tissue. And we know that brown, we've only known about brown brown fat for like the last 10 years, but we know that it increases metabolism and has some other good things. Uh, so yeah, you might not want to hit the treadmill the next time it's really chilly out and get outside uh, just because it's turning on your longevity genes. Uh, other ways to do this, he says, are to leave a window open at night and cover with a blanket. And in the episode I did on sleep, I talk about that, how you really want to sleep in chilly temperatures. It's better for your sleep uh, and it's also better for your longevity apparently. Uh, He says the verdict is still out on cryotherapy. Uh, That's that where you go to, I know we have one locally where you can go in and you almost are in like a booth and you're in really, really cold temperatures just for a minute or two. Uh, So the science is still out on that. Uh, But the cold, again, it turns on the longevity genes, creation of brown adipose tissue gets uh, goes up and that normally as you age, you you make less brown fat. So that's it. Uh, you want to get close to, but don't get on the edge of hypothermia. Like, don't do that. That you know, That's not what he's talking about. He's just t- talking about like big temperature changes and stressing the body in uh, good ways. And the same goes in the opposite for heat. Uh, so he talks about saunas, hot tubs, uh, and that in, there's, you know, a theory about heat, heat shock proteins and that if you turn them on in animals, that they live longer. And it's due to the folding uh, properly of proteins. 
Um, just some other tips that he mentions, and I'll summarize all these at the end too. Um, don't smoke. You know, don't drink from plastic water bottles if possible, and don't microwave food in containers um, that are plastic. Uh, I'm not going to go into metformin. Uh, metformin is an agent that he takes personally. It's actually a medication that's approved and used for patients with type 2 diabetes. Uh, FDA has agreed to consider aging as a treatable condition, and I think it's important to note that there's an ongoing trial with metformin on, uh, on aging. So that is interesting to see. Uh, another molecule and supplement that he takes is resveratol, uh, and that is a molecule that plants produce in times of stress. And you find it in red wine, uh, especially, especially Pinot Noir. I was really disappointed that, unfortunately, to get the amount of resveratrol that you need, it's like 100 glasses of wine. Uh, so that's not going to... Um, uh, I can't use that as an excuse to continue drinking uh, red wine, but uh, it's, I don't take the supplement now, but I might look into it if I could find one that actually contains what it says it contains, um, because it seems to me that it, uh, it, it definitely is good. It turns on your sirtuin defenses uh, and, again, uh, tricks your body kind of into thinking it's under stress. <clears throat> Uh, the other supplement that he takes that I am personally going to start taking uh, is uh, NMN. And NMN is a precursor to making NAD. Uh, avocados and broccoli are high in NAD. Anytime you can get it from your food, it's even better. Um, but as we age, we have a reduction in the NAD. And then, the, you know, our sirtuin defenses are not as activated. Uh, so supposedly, this is going to uh, boost just overall energy level, alertness, cognitive function, better memory, better balance. So I can't really give you any, um, uh, you know, I definitely don't believe in like an N of one, but I'm super anxious to see and excited to see how I feel after taking this. Uh, he noticed like he takes it for jet lag too and says that it just resets his system. So it's something that he takes in the morning. Uh, if you do decide to take it, I had a hard time finding one that was actually what it said it was. Uh, if you're not familiar with these supplements, you can still literally go sweep up your floor, put it in a capsule, and go put a label on it and sell it on Amazon and say, oh, this is an NMM, uh, you know, and it's okay. Um, so if you do decide to take any supplements, always just make sure. I think it's best to go with the big, uh, like a Walgreens brand or something like that, where they, if, if somebody tests it, then they have a lot to lose uh, if they're not actually putting into it what they say it is. Um, so anyway, I'll let you know about that. Uh, so just, you know, David Sinclair's thoughts about the future. He really says our goal shouldn't be to be less sick, that you can live to be 100 and be active and engaged like a 50-year-old. How awesome is that? Uh, and it's really pretty basic. It's, you know, uh, reducing animal-based amino acids, eating fewer calories. Uh, and definitely, again, it's not malnourishment at all. He's just talking about like not overeating, uh, exercising more, uh, living life outside the thermoneutral zone. So again, like hot and cold, sleeping at least uh, seven hours a night. Um, and then he uh, also talks about trackers and precision ma medicine. I just want to make sure that I uh, adequately said this. So when I'm talking about stress on the body, I'm not talking about like chronic stress or like that, like 
overwhelming like stress that's like an anxiety. When he's talking about stress, he's talking about like biologic stress. Think about it like if you were doing a fart like um, endurance run where you're throwing in some intervals. You know, that's stressing your body in a good way so that, you know, you're uh, increasing your aerobic capacity. Uh, some other things, let's see, I'll just tell you a quick story about his dad, because this really meant a lot when I read this. His dad, when he was in his 50s, was he was overweight, um, and his medical conditions were just not good at all. So he switched, and he's low sugar, low carbs. He works out even more than Dr. Sinclair, and now he's in his mid-70s. He's super fit, mentally really sharp. His eyesight's do really good. Uh, so I thought that was, again, these are all anecdotes, so I mean, take it with with a grain of salt, but um, I, I really liked the book and some of the concepts and the ideas. Uh, he, you know, he says, is it ever too late to do this, right? Like if you're feeling like, well, I'm past the point of return. It's too late for me. He says it's not. Like, um, you know, you definitely wouldn't want to start some of this like in your teens or early 20s. Uh, but, you know, you could start in your 30s on the supplements is what he recommends. Uh, he takes one gram of NMN every morning. Um, and again, that's in the morning. Uh, and he just, he reiterates how we need NAD for life, but you can't take that. So he takes NMN because that's the precursor to NAD. Uh, he also takes the one gram of resveratrol and he takes that as a power powder. And the purpose of that was to activate the main sirtuin pathway. He does take a daily vitamin D, uh, K2, and aspirin, 83 milligrams. I do take the vitamin D, and I have a whole other episode on that. Uh, he keeps his sugar, his bread, and his pasta intake low. Um, and he skips a meal daily, so he eats a big dinner. You know, if you have comments on this, if you've ever, uh, I don't have a lot of personal experience, and I'm not sure as far as endurance athletes and fasting. So I'm, when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking definitely about someone that's doing a lot of training. I don't know, you know, what the data says about that, but I'm talking more someone that is just exercising moderately. Uh, he talks about analyzing your blood work every few months. Uh, and I will say, let me see, I have it written down here. Hold on. Uh, if you go to tallyhealth.com, T-A-L-L-Y health.com, uh, I believe he has a thing where you can get a test on that to test your biologic age and see, and you could track it. And if you start doing some things like this and change your nutrition and change your exercise, will your biologic age change? Um, other things, lots of steps, walking, lifting weights. We know that we lose 1% of our muscle as we age <clears throat> very quickly. So weightlifting is super important. Uh, and I already mentioned this, avoiding microwave plastic uh, and then using uh, ice cold pool and then sauna, stay cool at night. Uh, I really like how he just notes, like, don't fly blind with your health. It's like driving a car without a dashboard. Like, monitor your health. Like, there's all these different ways you can do it. And know ahead of time and be your own advocate when you go see your doctor. Uh, you know, it might see, exp be, seem expensive to do some of these tests or take the eat the right foods. But in the long term, you know, medical care is very expensive. Chronic disease are super expensive. So it's going to save you in the long term. And again, I mean, 20% of our longevity is just genetic. So you can't fix that. But when you know that 80% of your longevity is in your hands, that's huge. And every day we have the decision to reap benefits later in life. It's not the most fun, but I think once we get into that, it's just a habit. And, you know, 
you're going to uh, just feel better long term. Think about how awesome it would be to be able to be running in your 60s and 70s and uh, know that you feel better. You don't feel like a 70 year old. That's my goal anyway. So that's why I read this book. Uh, I hope some of this resonated with you. I'd love to hear if anybody already does these things, uh, and if so, like hop on the show, I'll interview you. Uh, or if you're interested in switching into some of these things, uh, again, the book was, uh, the title of the book is called, uh, Lifespan, The Way We Age and Why We Don't Have To. And, uh, that's something I do recommend because I, I just found it super interesting. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Running After Age 40 podcast. If you like the show, please be sure to rate and give us a like in iTunes. Also check out our website, www.runningwithgrit.com for all things related to running over the age of 40. We have a special gift guide up for the holidays on the site designed to share stocking stuffer ideas and gifts for runners at pretty much every price. Thanks for listening.